Hey all you gamblers, sports addicts, and overall degenerates. You're listening to the Angry Degenerate Podcast. Your one-stop shop for sports hot takes and primo gambling picks. And now, the voice behind the laugh heard round the world. <laughs> the Angry Degenerate. And welcome to the Angry Degenerate Podcast. I am your motherfucking reigning, defending, angry degenerate, Michael Alexandre. Thank you for tuning in. This will be episode 21. I will try to keep it short, but as you know, I always have a lot of shit to say. I'll try not to ramble this time. Last week, if you've tailed my sports picks, I only got one wrong, which was the Bears. I got, I had the Bears at minus three. They ended up winning by two points. Everything else I got correct, including the Vic, uh, the 49ers, minus three. The Baltimore Ravens, minus three. The Tottenham game did not happen. It got snowed out. I had Fresno State minus seven. They beat the Tar out of San Jose State and denied San Jose State bowl eligibility. So it was a good week last week, gambling. Good week last week. It's not going to be like that every week. I'm going to give some games this week. Not too confident in the NFL slate, but I do have some soccer picks. If my voice is a little bit off, I'm feeling slightly under the weather. But I'm trying to get better. This week is going to be big. My birthday is next week, so I can't commit to a podcast next week. That's why I'm recording this week. I will be in Seattle. I will be live in the flesh at Lumen Field where the San Francisco 49ers take on their arch rivals, the defeated Seattle Seahawks. I'll get into them a little bit later, but that's going to be a fun time getting drunk in the cold Seattle rainy weather but without further ado let's just get right down to it before I cover the NFL I want to quickly touch on some hot button news items that came up in the sports uh, world this week if you're into soccer football whatever you want to call it Lionel Messi won his seventh Ballon d'Or and what a fucking sham that was. Now, you might say, those that know me, no, I'm a Cristiano Ronaldo fan through and through. He has five. Messi now has seven. That debate's over. Messi's going to have more Ballon d'Ors. That's over. Now, the Ballon d'Or is a French... It's given by French publications to the winner. And it's considered the most world-renowned title, I guess, for the best player in the world in the soccer world. Lionel Messi plays at PSG. The only thing keeping French soccer, French club soccer relevant. You don't think there's a little bit of things going on there? I think it's a little odd because Robert Lewandowski had a much better year than Lionel Messi. The only thing Lionel Messi, and it was a very big thing that he did, he led his team to a Copa America. But his club form has been piss poor. He's been damn near invisible 
for PSG up until recently. In fact, the last game, I think he had three assists. A few games ago, he scored his first goal in Ligue 1. And there's a lot of games that he sits out because, frankly, PSG don't need him. It's just a fucking sham all around. But I just sound like a crybaby. I just don't believe that he won fair and square. I think Robert Lewandowski with Bayern Munich, who steamrolled the Champions League, quite possibly one of the most talented Champions League teams of all time. They steamrolled that league, and he was the leading man. Now, he plays with Poland, which is in a high top of the class national team so that hurts him a little bit so his his stuff is mainly on club status but still Lewandowski deserved this one or last year's he probably deserved both but they gave it to Messi for because of his name let's just be honest here folks that's my soccer talk uh quickly moving on to Major League Baseball, I know we are not in baseball season, but unlike previous years, the MLB hot stove is burning. And that's in large part due to the upcoming lockout. Apparently, there's going to be a big Major League Baseball lockout where it's very it's very unexpected, or not unexpected, but it's very... Um, there's not a timeline for when that lockout will be broken or or whether there will be an agreement. Uh, so it might be a long lockout is, is what I'm hearing. So you have a lot of teams spending a lot of dough out there. Bad teams spending a lot of dough. Let's preface that. Some The biggest moves have been made by the Mets and the Rangers. The, the Rangers went out and signed John Gray, a starting pitcher for the Colorado Rockies and if you can pitch at Coors Field, you can pitch damn near anywhere. And he's been a pretty impressive all-star level pitcher for the Rockies. In fact, their only good starting pitcher, to be honest. I know the San Francisco Giants were looking at him closely. They missed out. Corey Seager signed a $325 million contract with the Texas Rangers as well. I know he was going to... I knew that the... The whole trade turn, bringing Trey Turner in was kind of a sign that Corey Seager was not going to be re-signed by the Dodgers. And obviously, look at that contract. But the Rangers went out and spent some cash. They also went out and got Marcus Simeon, Oakland native, Barry native. I know that the Giants were looking at him. He played with Oakland. He signed a big deal with them. So the Rangers are going balls out, man, to improve that 60-win team. And kudos to them. Because in baseball, now, just because you sign all these players doesn't mean you're going to be successful. I mean, look at the Padres year after year. So it'll be interesting to see how they compete in that division. I think the A's are going to start going in a downturn, cutting payroll. They're trying to get the hell out of Oakland. They just pretty much gave their manager away for peanuts. I wonder, you know, Houston's still a good team. It really sucks for the Seattle Mariners, who seemed like they were on the upswing. But, uh, you know, competition is good. And so 
the Rangers making that division more competitive is a good thing for Major League Baseball. Hopefully it continues. The other team that has been making a splash, the Mets, they went out there and signed Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar, who's a 20-plus home run hitter, Mark Canna, another guy that I know the Giants were looking at, former Oakland A, and the big-prized free agent Max Scherzer. That's a big loss for the Dodgers, in my opinion, because I think the Dodgers were the leader in the clubhouse to re-sign him. His family's from L.A. It seemed like he enjoyed his time in L.A., but man, it's hard to give up. What is it? He's getting paid $45 million in a three-year deal for a 38-year-old pitcher. Got to do it. Last big contract. He's going to the Big Apple, which will be interesting because a lot of people in the offseason and last year were talking shit about the Mets and their new owner, who's a loudmouth, goes on Twitter. In fact, he went on a Twitter rampage the other day because one of the Mets' starting pitchers, Steven Matz, didn't re-sign with him. And he said he pre- he made a, a Donald Trump-like statement on Twitter saying how their his agent was disrespectful and misleading and this and that. Just keep that business behind closed doors, my dude. I know you're a billionaire and you don't give a fuck, but it just looks bad on you. Rich people don't care. Come on now. Uh, Javier Baez also went to the Tigers on a big deal. He kind of flamed out with the Mets. I don't think that deal kind of solidified that team. Obviously, they expected that uh, along with Lindor to lead them to the postseason last year. It did not. He's going to the Tigers. I'd say thus far the biggest losers. Uh, I don't want to call it biggest losers, but just the good teams last year. The Yanks, the Sox. The Dodgers, the Giants, they really haven't done much. In fact, I haven't really heard anything from the Dodgers at all or the Yankees. Uh, I know the Giants have pretty much re-signed their own. Brandon Belt, Alex Wood, Anthony DiScofani, Harlan Garcia. They lost Buster Posey. They re-signed Brandon Belt, uh, Crawford. The only free agent that they've signed thus far is Alex uh, Cobb from the Angels. One of those underrated signings, about $9 million a year over three years. Uh, we'll see what happens with that, but his peripherals look good. But the big team's not doing much. I wonder what that means in terms of uh, the lockout, but uh, stay tuned for that. Lastly, I want to cover college football before I head to the NFL. Lincoln Riley goes to USC. That's a big splash. He's leaving the Oklahoma Sooners, which I thought I was kind of shocked by. I thought his next move was to was going to be the NFL. I know the Cowboys wanted to get them before get him before they got Mike McCarthy. It didn't happen. He was, you know, Bob Stoops stepped down at Oklahoma to have Lincoln Riley usher in the new era of Sooners football. I wonder what that's going to mean now. Now that the Sooners are going to the SEC, who are they going to get in there? The coaching carousel in college football might be the most interesting coaching carousel of all time because these guys who sign for these college football programs in these small towns like Norman, Oklahoma, Bend, North Bend, uh, Indiana, where Notre Dame plays, or Baton Rouge, Louisiana isn't really small, but 
in the thick of things compared to like a Chicago or or San Francisco or Los Angeles. It kind of is. Like you're a god in those college football towns. Lincoln Riley was a god in Oklahoma. Now he went Hollywood. He went to USC, which by the way, this couldn't have been a better signing for USC. I thought that they were going to hold out and perhaps try to bring in Pete Carroll or some NFL guy. They got Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley, you know, the talent pool in LA is fantastic. The problem was with USC these last, since Pete left pretty much, they weren't able to get the LA guys. The LA guys were going to the SEC. Now with Lincoln Riley at USC and his star power, you best believe those LA boys are going to be staying local. And I think USC might be uh, the powerhouse we once uh, remembered from back in the Pete Carroll days. We shall see. I mean, he got paid out fat. I mean, reports of getting paid 10 to $12 million a year plus USC, buying him company cars, uh, buying him two homes, paying off his home in Norman, Oklahoma, buying him another home in Norman and I believe another home in LA area. Just insanity. And remember, guys, well, USC is a little bit different. USC is a private school. But for these public schools, which I'll get to in a second... They're paying these guys out fat, and they're coming from public fucking money, my friends. Some of them booster help, but but good on Lincoln Riley to USC to revitalize that USC program because that US I just saw that game against BYU last week. I had a little bit of money on it, side bets from what my actual picks were on this on this podcast, and they just start terrible. Brian Kelly, Notre Dame head football coach. Also moving on, he's going to LSU, who fired Coach O, but Coach O's still there. Um, Kelly pretty much is another guy, revitalized that Notre Dame program, which under Charlie Weiss and Tyrone Willingham, they hadn't won a national title since 1988, and they still haven't won a national title, but he's brought that program back to relevance, back to prominence, won several big bowl games, Made a national title game, got lost, made a couple playoffs, but was on a streak of like 10 win seasons for Notre Dame, which uh, hadn't happened in quite some time. People saying he's selfish for leaving because he didn't finish the job at Notre Dame. Excuse me, upward mobility is the thing. If you're not, if you're going to another high profile conference, which the SEC is. People forget Notre Dame is an independent. Get paid more. Get a higher profile. You're playing against Nick Saban. You're playing against this tough competition, the SEC. Good on Brian Kelly. Nothing selfish about it. The only selfish thing, I guess, slightly about it is that he didn't didn't really give a two-week notice. He, You know, Notre Dame's going to go to a big bowl game, and uh, he's not going to be coaching in that bowl game. And the players that he recruited, he's not going to be coaching them. And perhaps the players that he recruited this past offseason that are now committed to Notre Dame are now saying, fuck, what are we going to do? Not his problem anymore. If you get fired, you're not given a two-week notice. You leave. You're escorted out. That's just the nature of the game. Good on Brian Kelly. He's going to bigger opportunities. Another situation where 
LSU, who I think is actually a public university, is buying him homes and buying him company cars. And God damn, what a deal this man got. And it better work out because the SEC, like I mentioned just before, it is competitive. He better be a 10-11 win team every damn year. Because you're playing the Georgias of the world. You're playing the Alabamas. You're playing the old misses of the world now under Lane Kiffin. They look like a respectable program. Even the lower-end programs in the SEC, the Mississippi States, are still pretty good. The Auburns, not a lower-level program. They didn't do that well this year. Kept up with Alabama, though. The SEC's compet- Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher. These are high-profile jobs. Florida Gators just hired a new head coach. SEC is competitive, and he must know what he's getting into because those fans out there are ruthless. And from all accounts, those games in Baton Rouge are probably one of the best games to be at in America. I'd love to go one day. My last comment on college football. Jim Harbaugh finally did it. He beat OSU. He beat the Ohio State University after I don't know how many tries. He's in the playoff. These last couple years, Jim Harbaugh has gotten a lot of hate. A lot of hate because, you know, he came from the NFL with a highly successful program with the 49ers, went to two NFC Three straight NFC title games, one Super Bowl appearance, flamed out in the last year, 8-8. 8 is good for most head coaches in the NFL, not for Jim Harbaugh. He got fired. He kind of got pushed out by Jed York, went back home to his alma mater, Michigan, and the expectation there was to beat Ohio State. Didn't work out that way. Urban Meyer beat the piss and tar out of him. I think Ohio State won a national title, which looks bad on Jim and Michigan. But if you look at Jim's credentials at Michigan, he's been a 9-10 win team pretty pretty much every damn year. That's not bad. It's just it hasn't reached the expectations that people initially expected. And that's kind of a little bit on Jim because Jim is kind of that type of guy. And your reputation precedes itself. But I'm glad to see him finally having success. I know that there was rumblings by the Wolverines fanatics. That they wanted him gone. Blah, 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 blah. In fact, when he re-signed with Michigan, he took less money than when he initially signed. But glad to see him having success there. I've always been a fan of Jim Harbaugh. I think he'll end up back in the NFL at some point. But now that he's having success here, I don't know if it'll be this season. It would be an interesting story to see him come back to the NFL where he had his most success as a quarterback with Chicago. Chicago, Matt Nagy most likely is going to be fired. But now that he's had success here making the playoff, they still got the Big Ten title game. They need to beat Iowa, and that'll secure their place in the Final Four. But I'm excited for Harbaugh, so kudos to him. Moving on to the NFL, I'm going to try to power through some of these things. The Thanksgiving games, the Raiders versus the Cowboys, most watched game since 1990. The Raiders pretty much saved their season. They were impressive. That game was you know, kind of back and forth and very exciting to watch, which is what you want on a Thanksgiving game. You don't want to blow out like the Bills versus New Orleans. 
And you don't want a shitty game between two shitty teams like you got between Detroit and Chicago. So it was a fun and entertaining game. I'm sure the Theos and the Theas and the Cholos and the Cholas got in some arguments and fights at the dinner table regarding this. But it was all fun. It was very fun. The Raiders saved their season. And like I said last week, I still don't think you can trust this Cowboys team until they prove it to you. And every time that they get an opportunity to prove it to you, they go ahead and shit the bed. And that's what happened here. Kudos to the Raiders. They saved their season. I I for sure think that they saved their season because a loss here, I think, would have... A loss here, the Broncos ended up winning. The Chiefs ended up winning. I think that pretty much would have knocked them out of playoff contention. Although they still would have been in contention theoretically, but I think mentally they probably wouldn't have been. I think this is a big morale boost. We'll see what happens. The Raiders oftentimes, you know, have a big win like this and then shit the bed right after. They got some pretty, you know, they still got some divisional matchups coming up. They play Kansas City again. They still play the Chargers again. They have another game against the Broncos. They still play Cleveland. So it's still out in the open there for the Raiders. We'll see what they can do. Uh, The other Thanksgiving matchup was the Saints. Um, I don't know what to say really much besides Trevor Simeon sucks. And, uh, uh, you know, it looks like they're going to bring in Taysom Hill there to try to solidify that quarterback position. But I think at the end of the day, you know, I'm not going to say the Saints made a mistake coming into the season with Jameis Winston because you can't predict injuries. But I even with Jameis, I don't think that they were a playoff team. They were perhaps, perhaps, perhaps a borderline, you know, 6-7 seed. But just not a team that's going to do much. And now, Jameis hurt. Taysom Hill's not really a quarterback. Trevor Simeon sucks. And, you know, if we'll see what will happen with there, but... Just, you know, they got some pieces coming back this week. Kamara's coming back this week. Mark Ingram. So we'll see what will happen there. But they did not look good against the Bills. DeAndre Swift got hurt in that Detroit Lions game. I mean, DeAndre Swift is the only reason to watch the Detroit Lions. They're fucking awful. I mean, when are they ever going to win? And I saw something in that game that really... In my head, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Motor City, Dan Campbell. But he had a moment there where he called back-to-back timeouts. And you can't do that in the NFL. Even I know that. So, and it was in a crucial situation where they got penalized down near the end zone, I believe. So, those are mistakes that can't happen. I know he's calling plays now. Anthony Lynn kind of got demoted. He's never had experience calling plays. I think he's just trying to see what what works and what doesn't. I think his personality really helps him. And the fact that the Lions do play hard. They just don't have talent. And you need talent in the NFL to win. Everything else about Thanksgiving games? Meh. Don't really need to cover it. Moving on to Pat, you know the other games. Um, Steelers. Ben Roethlisberger needs to be put down like old Yeller. Um, they're just bad, and they got a tough schedule coming up. This might be the first losing season for Mike Tomlin since he's been the Pittsburgh Steelers head coach, and he's been there 
damn near 15 years, it seems like. Don't quote me on that. That's an impressive... He's the winningest... He just passed Bill Cowher. Uh, Chuck Knoll is the winningest head coach in their history. But he passed Bill Cowher, so he's the second. And I always hear Pittsburgh Steelers fans dogging him. How can you have that much success and still be dogging the guy? Consistent success. You know what the Detroit Lions would give for an 8-8 eight eight season? That's a bad fucking year for Pittsburgh. And that might happen this year. They might even finish under 500 because their schedule is tough coming up. The Bengals. They've won two in a row after their bye week, which they kind of retooled and kind of got their shit together because coming into that bye week, the Bengals were looking like a team that was on the downturn, a team that was going to be, you know, the big time was going to be too big for them. Nope. After the bye, they steamrolled the the Raiders, and now they beat the fuck out of the Pittsburgh Steelers. By the way, in my side bets, I had Pittsburgh plus four. (laughs) Uh, What was I thinking? But yeah, time to put Big Ben out to pasture. They kind of pigeonholed themselves because they don't have a quarterback of the future on their team. Mason Rudolph sucks. Haskins sucks. The quarterback class sucks. They might have to go out there and trade for a guy. Russell Wilson, wink, wink. Moving on, Miami versus the Panthers. And I'm guilty of this. Tua is better than we thought he was, as Denny Green once said. I mean, we talk a lot of shit about him. The media talks a lot of shit about him. He's small. He's, you know, injury prone. He got pulled last year a lot of times in relief. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick would come in. That's more of a coaching problem, I think, in Miami. Not a Tua problem. Just let the kid play. And I'm guilty of this, but as a 16-game starter, he finally has played 16 games now. Because some games he came in because Ryan started and vice versa. He's put up respectable numbers. Similar to Kyler Murray. And we put Kyler Murray up there on a godlike pedestal. He has similar numbers through 16 games. Something like 27 touchdowns. Now is he an impressive guy? Eh. But I think he's a guy you can possibly win with. We'll see what happens in the offseason there. Their defense also looks good, and that's been helping them. They're like on a three or four game winning streak, kind of put themselves back into the playoff conversation for that wild card. We'll see what happens there. Panthers. Man. Cam sucks. He cannot throw. I think there was a stat out there that this is the first time a quarterback has, you know, a lower QB rating or. Or a lower completion percentage for a quarterback throwing 20 passes since Joey Harrington in like 2004. He was like 5 for 25. Through like 2 or 3 picks. He had a running touchdown, which is what he's really good at at this point. You know, a PR move sucks if he can't play. And that's what it was. It was a PR move. But it's not like they got anybody better. You know, PJ Walker, Sam Darnold. The jury's done on him. He sucks. And that Panthers coaching staff might be on the rocks there. That owner to me, David Tepper, seems like a guy that might, you know, you know, fire Matt Rule, who he's making like eight, nine million a year. A lot of people didn't know who the fuck Matt Rule was. A lot of people in NFL circles coming in. He got signed from Baylor. 
And he's supposed to be this quarterback whisperer, brings in Joe Brady, another quarterback whisperer, and they haven't done no whispering and a nobody. Every quarterback that comes in through there, it's like a turnstile. They all suck. So I think Matt Rule might be on on the, on the on what do they call it, on the hot stove, on the hot seat. Look out for that situation there. Eagles versus Giants, boring game, 13-7. Nothing that I can really really want to cover i think they're really two things i want to talk about is that saquon barkley looks washed and he's a prime example why i would never draft a running back in the first round he just doesn't look good you can get more value in the second third fourth fifth sixth seventh rounds look at elijah mitchell with the 49ers sixth round pick nick chubb second round pick dalvin cook i think second round pick Henry with Tennessee, second-round pick. He looks washed, and I don't think they should give him an, a big a big contract. Let him walk. And then uh, Jalen Hurts. Just when you think he's reeling you in, he, like, reels you back out. He put together quite a, f- you know, quite a few games out there that looked really good, and then, you know, he shits the bed against the Giants. Like I said, he, he's kind of like a poor man. Jackson in Baltimore, I don't think he's as bad as people think he is. Now, I do think Jeffrey Lurie, if he, if anybody can trade for a quarterback this offseason, it's them. They have a shit ton of draft capital. I think they have like five first-round picks in the next two years. If anybody can trade for a big-time quarterback, it will be them. And then they could kind of give Jalen Hurts in return. I think Jalen Hurts has a future in the NFL here. He's just not quite refined yet, just kind of, kind of like Jackson wasn't refined. But I think he has a future. You know, he's going through some growing pains. Moving on, Titans and the Patriots game. What the hell was I missing on this that I didn't have this as one of my plays of the week? Bill versus a former player who half his team is pretty much missing. I mean, half of his top skill position players. I mean, you talk about Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown. Just off the top of your head, those are three Pro Bowl-type players missing in action. The Patriots beat the tar out of them. I think the line... I think I didn't bet on them because... You know, Vrabel beat the Patriots in the postseason like two years ago. Ah... But yeah, he beat the he beat the tar out of them. Uh, Bill in a blowout in that scenario sounds about right. Mac Jones is the real deal. No hate for me. He just doesn't make mistakes. This Patriots team, like I mentioned last week, is giving me vibes of the old Patriots teams, the first two or three championships of those Patriots teams. Three headed running attack. They're currently the number one seed. They got a good test upcoming against the Bills. That's that's where we will see who the king of that AFC East will be because the Patriots are looking very good right now and the Bills are kind of eh at the moment. They beat a a Saints team really bad, but they've had a couple of like weird losses. They just lost their top cornerback out for the year. So this season is going to be heavily dependent on what Josh Allen and Diggs do. So we will see. I'm leaning Patriots that game, to be honest with you. 
Uh, going back to the Titans, they got a much-needed buy coming up. They are have, they are so lucky that they won those all those games early on in the season because they just don't look like a very good football team at the moment. And Ryan Tannehill looks lost. He needs to get some of those pieces back. Falcons and Jags, another game I'm not going to really cover much. Boring. The only thing, you know, Cordell Patterson is impressive for the Falcons. If some motherfucker earlier this season told you that Cordell Patterson is going to be a top running back in fantasy or top running back in the NFL this year, nobody would have guessed it. Cordell Patterson has been an absolute monster with the Atlanta Falcons. Arthur Smith has known what to do with this man and has revitalized his career as an offensive centerpiece of this team. Before, teams like the Raiders, Vikings, Bears had this guy kick returning, punt returning, which he's very good at, but not really used in the offense. Man, Cordell Patterson on the 49ers or the Rams would be a sight to see. Uh, The Jags, not really sure what to make of them. They just do not look good. Lawrence is not impressive. He has no talent around them. There was all this hype that he was going to be the next Peyton Manning-style prospect. Peyton Manning had talent on that Colts team's there's no talent, offensive talent, on this Jaguars team besides maybe James Robinson. But they get behind in so many games that they don't really feed him the rock enough. A lot of big jobs have just opened up in college. The Notre Dame job just opened up. Interesting to see if uh, Urban Meyer is going to you know, dip his toe there. Keep an eye out on that. Bucks and Colts. Carson Wentz is back. I talked a lot of shit, but Carson Wentz is playing like an MVP. At the, he's playing at the level when he was uh, in his in those years with the Eagles when he was at the top of his game. He still makes some like weird errors here and there, but man, the guy just looks like a pro-style NFL quarterback. Big-bodied, not afraid to get his hands dirty. I just love the way he, that he's been playing. They just couldn't play well enough to beat the GOAT, Tom Brady. Taylor was kept in check. Jonathan Taylor, after that massive career five, four or five touchdown game. A really impressive thing about the Bucks is they put up, like, what, 38 points this week? But they really did it without utilizing Evans. He had very minimal opportunities, less than 30 yards catching. Then uh, Chris Godwin didn't really do much as well. Their running game won them the game. I think Fournette had three or four touchdowns. So, you know, the the Bucks are showing that showing to you that they're not just all pass. They can shove it down your throat. And if they can continue to do that on a consistent basis, man, they're only gonna get scarier as the year went on. That's what happened last year. They got scarier as the year went on. Another game I really don't give a shit about, Jets versus Texans. Jets won 21-14. Zach Wilson still sucks. I mean, he just doesn't look very good as the number two pick. And I can kind of say that he has more talent on that team on the offensive side of the ball than Trevor Lawrence does. They both look shitty, but Zach Wilson, you know, he has Corey Davis. He has uh, Eli, I can't really think of his name, but he's uh, Eli Moore. 
at wide receiver. They got talent at the wide receiver position, but everything else on that team is just drab and blah. And they're actually going to benefit from being kind of shitty this year or from Seattle being kind of shitty this year because they made a fantastic trade with the Seahawks. So they're going to get the Seahawks pick, who's all, who also has the same record as they do. So they're both 3-8. and eight. But based off of strength of schedule, the Seahawks actually pick first, but that pick is actually going to the Jets. So the Jets might have back-to-back first-round picks. Man, did they get a they man did they fleece the fuck out of Seattle for Jamal Adams. That trade has been a bust and might be the downfall of the of Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. But moving on, I mean, uh, you know, Texans don't know what to make of them. I think their head coach is going to get fired at the end of the year. Kind of like one of those scenarios where Jim Tom Sula was one and done with the 49ers back uh, a few years ago. I just don't see David Coley sticking around here with uh, Houston. Yeah, another game, Chargers-Broncos. Man, year after year, the Chargers, just something is off with them. New head coach, new offensive coordinator. Same problems, it seems like. Every year there's hopes and they're dashed. Joe Lombardi got brought in. To be the offensive coordinator. I thought that was going to be a bad hire. Because he had a bad reputation with Detroit. Under Stafford. I think he was like a one or two two and done. uh, Coordinator there. And then. Brandon Staley. Who's highly thought of in league circles. Decided I'm going to bring this guy in. And he's going to mentor and teach my. Highly prized. Godly quarterback. I mean when you put. A quarterback, and you want your stereotypical quarterback? Justin Herbert is that man. And, you know, something's just not clicking there. And I don't necessarily think it's Justin Herbert's fault. But, and I know that if things go bad here, like, for example, if they don't make the postseason, I think Lombardi will get fired. But even their defense, even the Chargers' defense is not playing well. And that's supposed to be Brandon Staley's specialty. And they have, you know, Joey Bosa there and a couple other pieces on defense on, uh, on the in the front seven that are good. But they're just kind of like one of those average teams. You just don't know from week to week what you're going to get. And that's not a very good place to be in. In terms of the Broncos... They just keep hanging around. I mean, they're just kind of a blah football team. Like, nothing's really impressive about them. Teddy Bridgewater, not impressive. Their running game, meh. But their defense has been pretty stout. Patrick Sertan is looking like a guy. And that's, that's, uh, I think when you look at all the teams, Fighting for those playoff positions, I, I would say a lot, a large majority of the audience would say that they would not want the Broncos in there just because they're not fun. Um, Teddy Bridgewater kind of, in my opinion, hinders. While he is winning because he doesn't make many mistakes, good for him. He kind of hinders their offense in a sense because they got some talented wide receivers there. Tim Patrick. Sutton, 
Jerry Judy. And I look at their stat lines week after week, and it's just meh. But they're winning, and that's all that matters in the NFL. You can be meh and win, and your fan base will be happy. And as long as you're cashing checks and making the postseason, the fans will be happy and the players will be happy. Now, I still think they need to get a quarterback in there, a legit quarterback to get to the next level. But the Broncos are, are you know, impressing some people. And, you know, they can thank their damn defense that that uh, that uh that's happening. Uh, moving on. Vikings 49ers. 49ers minus three. Got that right. I got the over right as a side bet as well. 34-26 to the 49ers. Moving them up to the sixth spot in the wild card. Impressive win. Uh, the game started off slow. J- we got one side of Jimmy. And when we saw that side of Jimmy, I was like, ooh, this game is going to be bad. Because when you get the bad side of Jimmy, what he does is he forces things, which he does quite often, but he forces things and he forces them high. And that's what was happening. He was forcing things and he was forcing things high where he was getting his wide receivers and tight ends killed once again. And then he had an interception early on in the game. And then he got his ass chewed out by Kyle Shanahan. And then he comes back out and looks like a brand new fucking guy. Sometimes you just need that kick in the ass. And maybe that's what he needed. Because the rest of the game, the 49ers pounded the rock. Debo Samuel, Elijah Mitchell. They didn't run 40 plus times this this time around, but they averaged 4 to 5 yards of carry and over 200 yards of rushing. They demoralized that Vikings team. And they demoralized them and confused Kirk Cousins towards the end of the game so much that they had to call a timeout because the guy was lined up under the guard versus the center. Now, I saw the comments after the game, Mike Zimmer complaining about the refs and the officials and blah, 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 blah. And just like George Kittle said, then maybe your fucking players should have made the plays and not relied on the officials to give them extra yardage or hope in hopes to get extra yardage. Great win for the 49ers, you know, towards the end of the year. If it can, you know, tiebreakers do matter. And uh, the Vikings are still in the playoffs, surprisingly, at a 5-6 and six record. Um, but now the 49ers 6-5 and five in prime playoff position. I saw a stat where it's like they're 94% possible chance they're going to make the postseason. And, um, you know, I had the 49ers as the number one wildcard spot, which I think is the sixth position, which uh, the Rams currently hold. Uh, and with the 49ers still yet to play the Rams again, in LA, that could come into play. Now, I did predict the 49ers to be a 11-12 win team. That certainly is not going to happen. Uh, I think that they could still be a 10-10 win team, though, and that will certainly get you into the postseason. What to say about the Vikings? Real quick, uh, another thing to about the 49ers. They go to Seattle next week. I will be in Seattle. And it doesn't matter if Seattle's 3-8. and eight. This is a rivalry game. They always come out to play the 49ers tough. In fact, their last win this year was against the 49ers at Levi's Stadium. And the 49ers will be missing Debo Samuel, who got injured 
uh, groin issue. He'll be missing one week. And Fred Warner, our star linebacker, will also be out. Two big pieces missing there. But the one thing that actually impressed me this week that I needed to touch on about the 49ers was that the 49ers often get very reliant on a couple wide receivers, whether it be Ayuk or Debo or George Kittle. Jimmy passed to like 10 different receivers this this week and utilized Jawan Jennings pretty frequently and Brandon Ayuk back in the game plan. So he got a lot of people involved in the game plan this week, and that just, to me, shows that the 49ers can win in multiple ways. Another crucial thing, when the 49ers were losing, they were not forcing turnovers, and they were not looking like an aggressive, they were looking like an, a vanilla defense. They are looking more aggressive than ever that, than ever this year, and they are forcing turnovers. They had two turnovers this year. Kirk Cousins had an interception, which is very unlike him. Check the stats. He does not throw interceptions. And then there was also a, another strip fumble that we had. And there was another possible fumble that we could have had, but it was recovered, that the 49ers could have had and was recovered by the other team. Force turnovers, win the game, pound the rock, control field position and the clock is the name of the game for the 49ers and that's what's been working for the last three to four weeks uh rams versus green bay rams are overrated as i've stated before stars do not buy championships this isn't the nba where you can just bundle up together a bunch of stars and you'll most likely win a title or go to the title or go deep into a playoff run. It's very different in the NFL. There's 53 people versus a five-man starting roster. Um, the Rams just have just not been looking good the last couple of weeks. Now, I do understand they played Green Bay. Green Bay is probably the number will probably end up being the number one seed against Arizona because they hold the tiebreaker. But since they got OBJ, they have not looked the same, my friends. I don't know if it's like just because that guy's in the building and he brings his aura. But it seems like everywhere this guy goes, something bad happens. And it kind of sucks the wind out of these teams. Like with the Giants, towards the end of his tenure with the Giants, it was just awful. Awful reports coming out of there. And then same thing with the bang with the the Browns, and then no reports coming out here yet. But they're just not winning and not looking good, and they were before. That Woods loss is uh, becoming to be a big loss for the Rams. And Stafford, is this the real Stafford? Is this the real Stafford that nobody saw in Detroit? Because you know the whole thing about him in Detroit was that well you know. He just doesn't have enough talent. Or they play with the Lions and everybody loses with the Lions, but he's actually really good. Well, now he actually has a good team behind him and now he's struggling in big games against the 49ers, against Green Bay. So keep an eye on that, I would say. Green Bay, I mean, Rodgers had that COVID toe. He was limping around, but he still got, you know, he still took care of business. And Green Bay looks better than ever, guys. Watch out for them in the postseason. This may be the year where, you know, maybe 
maybe Aaron Rodgers wins number two. But that's not counter. Uh, that's not. That's not counter. Uh, let's not uh, get ahead of ourselves here. Sunday night football: Browns versus Ravens. I had Ravens minus three. I bought the points. They always tell you, not the points. Buy the points. Um, interesting statistic in this game. Jackson threw four interceptions, and the Ravens still win. That's the first time a team that has done that in previous games. The quarterback is zero and fifty-seven. Well, now they're 1-57 because the Baltimore Ravens beat down a very unimpressive Baker Mayfield. I mean, he's beat up, and I'm going to give him that excuse because he's really beat up. Some of the, you know, torn labrum type shit. But he, was, he wasn't even that good when he wasn't injured. And now he can't even get the ball down the field. He can't even give his wide receivers and ability to make plays and their strong suit is running the ball well the Ravens put a stop to that so that's the key to success there with the with with the stopping the Browns you stop the run you stop that team because Baker Mayfield is not in a position to win them any football games but their defense kept them in the game against the Ravens four picks very impressive Jackson has not looked good in recent weeks, which is kind of odd. He kind of gets sick a lot. This is like the second year in a row that he's gotten sick, and it's like a flu type thing. Maybe last year it was COVID. But, I mean, I'm sure he'll bounce back. And the thing about him is if he can't rely on his arm, he can always rely on his legs, and that's what he did in the last drive. He relied on his legs. I got a couple first downs, play-action pass, uh, play-action kind of option type stuff, and they just bled the clock and ran out the clock for the most part. And lastly, Monday Night Football. I had a little bit of money on this, half a unit. (coughs) I had the Seahawks uh, money line on this because I thought, you know, no way Seattle's going to let this unimpressive mild-mannered Washington football team who's missing Chase Young and has this undrafted quarterback and Tyler Heineke dominate them or beat them. Washington controlled that game from pretty much start to finish. I mean, it was tied at at half, 9-9, but they really, into the, sec- into the third and fourth quarter, pulled away. Ron Rivera is counting... His Riverboat Ron is counting, you know, his his blessings here because they had an opportunity to ice the game, make it a two possession game, a fourth and something, and kick the field goal. They did not. They went for it on fourth down. They got the first, the fourth, the first down, but then they went for it on fourth down again later, and fourth and goal and. They did not complete it with a little under two minutes. Russell Wilson takes them down the field, scores a touchdown. They score 17-15. They go for two. Russ gets picked on the two-point conversion, and it's game over. I'm not going to really talk about the football team because they're just meh. 
just a mad team. Not really impressive. They are in playoff contention because everybody's in playoff contention. But the big story here is the Seahawks. Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson. The Se- People forget the Seahawks won the West last year, the NFC West last year. They look like a shadow of their former self. Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson have been winning 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 games for damn near 10 years now. They have won three years. Those fans up there in Seattle are not used to losing. Those, those fans who, you know, they are loud. But I think a lot of their fans just became fans as recently. But something doesn't look good there. Russell seems out of sorts. I think his hand is probably still bothering him. DK looks tuned out. Pete Carroll looks like a guy who's kind of lost some miles on his fastball. You know, the older you get, you kind of just sometimes lose your ability to you lose a little bit of ability. I'm not going to say he's lost his ability to coach because I still think he's a damn good head football coach. You just don't go one year over winning the NFC West to, you know, being bad. That's not how it works. Now has his mesh. Now has his message. Is his message getting through anymore? That's the problem here. I don't think his message is getting through to the team anymore. And if the head football coach's message is not getting to the team anymore and is, you know, it might be time to part ways. And I really hope Seattle doesn't outright fire him. I think I hope they let him resign gracefully. I think Pete is still one of those guys that I think he can still coach in this league. But I think he has that. Pr- I think he might go back to college. We will see. But you know, it looks like that era, as we know it in Seattle, is going to come to an end. Now whether now whether Russell leaves as well will be interesting. He might just one out as well and start brand spanking new with a whole new franchise. And then that'll just put that entire Seattle franchise in turmoil. But they play the 49ers this upcoming week at Lumen Field. Tough matchup for both teams. No matter what the records of both of these teams are, it's still going to be smash mouth football. And anytime you have a rivalry game, anybody can win. But uh, the Seahawks, they... This version of the Seahawks may be over. And I, in my opinion, the, the downfall started with that big trade with for Jamal Adams. They traded, what was it, two or three first-round picks for a guy that can't even force turnovers. He's a, he's a line, he's a, a safety that masquerades, that, that plays like a linebacker. And you traded that much draft capital for a guy like that to help solidify their defense. And their defense looks as bad as it's ever looked. Their offense looks as bad as it's ever looked. They went in there and got one of these young hotshot, potential future OC, you know, young offensive minds under McVay. He has not looked good. Just because you coach under a guy doesn't mean you're going to be as good as him. Let's get that out of the way. And uh, things are just not meshing there in Seattle, and and it's coming to an end. Now, whether, like I said, if, if Russell goes, I, I think Pete will go for sure, but if Russell goes, there's going to be an entire reset on that franchise. Moving on, I do have a dumbass of the week, so let's bring on the Angry Degenerates Dumbass of the Week. The first step to recovery is admitting you're a dumbass. The Angry Degenerates 
dumbass of the week. Well, I'm going to butcher his name, but Ines Kanter, the Turkish basketball player who famously has played for Boston Celtics, Oklahoma City, blah, blah, blah. Kind of a, a really big political activist of sorts. He's been in the news recently because he renamed his name to Ines Kanter Freedom. He just got his United States citizenship, so he decided to rename his name. And he's been in the news in the past for criticizing LeBron James about his ties to China and and oppressive regimes because, obviously, Ines comes from Turkey, which is an oppressive regime. A couple years ago, he spoke out against the government there. Their Erdogan is the president there. And they... They revoked his passport when he was somewhere in Europe or Asia. I can't quite recall. And they had federal officials. He was in Indonesia. That's what it was. And they, he re- they revoked his passport so he couldn't get out of Indonesia. And then he had Indonesian Secret Service or FBI, kind of, whatever the agency out there is for them, looking for him to bring him back to Turkey. So he kind of was in hiding for a bit. And, you know, everything got situated. He worked with the NBA and the Players Association, and they got him a a thing to, you know, fly back and come back to the United States. Well, he just got citizenship, and he was a guest host. He was a guest on the Tucker Carlson Show on Fox News. Now, I don't like to really get political here, but he said something that really fucking bothered me. And this is, I quote, this is verbatim from what he said. I feel like they should, regarding people who criticize the United States, I quote, I feel like they should just keep their mouths shut and stop criticizing the greatest nation in the world. And they should focus on their freedoms and their human rights and their democracy. Well, hi there. You must be new here, Ines, because I know you just became a United States citizen, but have still been bearing the fruits of the labor of this country by being a professional, privileged basketball player. You said it in that statement. Why should we shut up if we have the right to speak without being put in a gulag, you stupid idiot? So you're criticizing people for criticizing the United States, which is something you're not allowed to do in your own country, but yet you're telling people that they shouldn't do it here. What? But let's get that out of the way. Let's go to this point. Do you know how this Inus became an American uh, citizen? Well, guess what? He got the first preference EB-1 priority worker, which means aliens with extraordinary ability in sciences, arts, education, business, or athletics. So he, because he's privileged with natural talent, became an American citizen because he's a basketball fucking player. You know how many people are waiting to become citizens and have the same rights as you? And now, and, and... and have been in this country working long and harder than you have? Tons. Millions. Yet you, with your privilege and all, just recently became a citizen. 
calling yourself Ines Cantor Freedom, yet you go on Fox News, the station that suppresses freedom, and says that we should shut our mouth and stop criticizing the nation. So your name is Freedom now, and yet you're telling us, no, you shouldn't criticize our nation, which is part of our freedoms. How the fuck does that make any sense? And did you fucking think before you even said that? You know, I have respected some of the things that this man has said in the past. I respected the fact that he called out LeBron James and all the other athletes who have business in China. I do respect that. But how the hell can you just waltz right in? Hey, I'm a United States citizen because I'm an athlete. Not recognize that you're privileged in that front. And then go on a news station that constantly suppresses shit, which you're against, apparently, and say, don't criticize the United States. And I'm not taking your words out of context because that's exactly what he said. My dude, my dude, my dude. Get a fucking PR agent because if you're going to continue to say stupid shit like this, you're going to become a fucking joke. And you're kind of already a fucking joke. So, Ines Cantor... You're my dumbass of the week. Keep, how about this? Keep your motherfucking mouth shut because your opinion doesn't mean shit. And now, the Angry Degenerates Picks of the Week. All right, all right, all right, folks. My Picks of the Week. Last week was a very good week for me. It's not like that all the time. I had a game that was postponed. I had the Bears, which did not hit, but everything else was gravy. Um, This week, a lot of my stuff is going to be predominantly uh, soccer-based. I have two separate picks, but I would suggest not putting a lot on them. Um, I would say that those picks put a half unit on them. My football picks. I looked at the slate. I wasn't too impressed with some of the lines. But I'll give you some of my soccer picks, which I will put one unit on each. So my picks of the week. Chelsea, money line against West Ham at minus 138. Anytime I can get Chelsea at minus 138, I will take it. Obviously, look at the lineups ahead of time. But the reason I'm taking this matchup is... West Ham is kind of a revelation this year. They're fighting for the top four. They were re- they were a revelation last year. But their head coach, David Moyes, he does not have a very good reputation against the big clubs in England. I think I saw a statistic where out of 38 matchups in the, uh, against the big four, big five in, in the UK, in the EPL, he, ha- he has a record of two wins and only two wins in 38 tries that is downright terrible Chelsea they're doing very good at the moment and I expect them not to steamroll but I expect it to be kind of 2-1 maybe 3-1 so Chelsea money line minus 138 Manchester City versus Watford I got it at over three goals at minus 115, one unit. 
since Claudio Ranieri has taken over Watford, they have kind of been scoring goals, which is not very common for a team in the relegation spots in the EPL. Uh, they Since he's taken over, each of his games, each of the games that Watford has taken place in, have gone over. In fact, today's game against Chelsea went over. And Manchester City, always willing to score goals. So Manchester City versus Watford, over 3 at minus 115. Another one is, I got Real Madrid at plus 116 against Real Sociedad. Now, I just finished watching the Real Madrid game against Atletico Bilbao, which I bet on Real to win, and they did, one nothing. But for the second half, they got pretty dominated, and they probably... Atletico Bilbao should have probably got a well-deserved draw from that. Very Some very close opportunities. And towards the end of the game, Real Madrid was just really trying to get the ball out of their half. And they couldn't for the most part. So that gave me a little bit of cause for concern for my pick here. But anytime I can get Real Madrid at plus, I'm going to do it. And Real Sociedad is a very impressive team right now in, in La Liga. It is a team fighting for... You know, the top four. Um, but like I said, Real Madrid at plus money, plus 116. Do it every time. So take that. My last soccer bet is going to Italy and Serie A. Atalanta versus Napoli. Over three at minus 125. Atalanta, I don't need to say much about them. They always seemingly score goals. And they score a lot of them in abundance. In fact, this past week, they just scored four. And... Napoli also scores, tends to score a lot of goals, in fact, or their games tend to have a lot of goals. In fact, today, they just had a five-goal game against Sassuolo. Where they scored three, Sassuolo scored... Uh, where they scored two, Sassuolo scored three. So, two teams that can score over three at minus 125. Now, these I'm still going to include as part of my record, but I'm only putting a half unit on them. And I have... The Chiefs at home coming off a bye against Denver at minus 9.5. Now, the reason why I'm only putting half a unit on this is twofold. One, the Chiefs don't really cover anymore. And two, uh, I'm not a big fan of high spreads like that, like minus 9.5, minus 10. I'm not a big fan. Um, But why I am putting a half a unit on it is simply for this. One, they're coming off a bye. And two, Andy Reid's record on coming off of a bye against the spread is immaculate. It's like like folklore. It's like uh, things of legend. He's very good coming off a bye against the spread. So that's why I'm really going for it. It's one of those things that I usually criticize because what happened last year doesn't indicate what happens this year. But Andy Reid... I trust Andy Reid. Another one I got, and this is a half a unit. I got the Bengals minus three against the Chargers. Uh, I just, I'm not too impressed with the Chargers at this moment. And I think the Bengals are a better football team at the moment. And I definitely think if I were to rate this line, I think I would have put it at minus, minus four and a half, minus five. But it's at minus three, so I see value in it. So I got Bengals minus three against the Chargers. Half a unit. So to summarize here, Chelsea money line against West Ham minus 138. 
Manchester City versus Watford over three goals at minus 115. Real Madrid money line plus 116 against Real Sociedad. Atalanta versus Napoli in Serie A over three at minus 125. And then I have Chiefs coming off a bye against the Broncos at minus nine and a half. And I have the Bengals minus three. And those are my picks of the week. Like I said, I do not think I will be podcasting next week just because it will be a busy week for me. It is my birthday. I will be going to Seattle. I will be coming back on a Tuesday. And I usually record these things on Tuesday. And I know I'm going to have to catch up on work and all this bullshit that that you guys don't care about. Uh, Another thing is I'm actually going to be telecasting a live football game the Rams and Arizona Cardinals on Monday Night Football in uh, <clears throat> mid-December. I believe that's three weeks uh, from now. I will be doing it as part of this app, uh, which is called the ColorCast app. And it's essentially where you ha- bring your buddies and your friends or yourself and you can kind of do live commentary on a game uh they're gonna be doing me a trial run and uh if i do well and if i bring some of you folks here from my audience to there uh they'll have me on as a permanent commentator and that means i'll get paid a little bit not too much uh i'll do one game a week and it'll be a hundred bucks for that game Passive income, my friends. But getting your foot in the door is the other one. So I do appre- I'll do. i give you more updates when I have it. I'll put it on social media. But I'm pretty excited about this opportunity. And I'm pretty excited. I'll probably bring some of my friends on. And we can shoot the shit and discuss the Rams and the Cardinals. Another thing is I've, uh, I'm have i in talks with uh, another application to perhaps be a sponsor on my podcast. So keep an eye on that. Doing things official here, folks. Uh, gotta do it. Gotta do it official. I think, you know, me talking about gambling really helps. And lastly, <clears throat> I do thank you guys all for tuning in. I know I haven't been as consistent with my podcasts as of late, but a lot of that is, uh, you know, one, just probably pure laziness on my part, but also two, work's been kind of kicking my ass towards the end of the year. Trying to finalize budgets and all this bullshit and strategies and corporate jargon i'd much rather just be talking sports all day and betting and gambling all day but you know something and someone has to pay the bills but like i said thank you all for for tuning in i don't think i will be podcasting next week but uh you'll find out for sure on social media other than that have a great week and see you next time Hey, thanks for listening. If you had a good time, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review as well. And follow at the Angry Degenerate on Instagram and TikTok for all the latest updates, hot takes, shit talking, and of course, some high quality grade A trolling. Until next time. Ah!